Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. 
We're here today to talk about the season opener and uh, in particular talk about the New York Jets in our first Know Your Foe of this season. And we're joined by Michael Nania. He's of Jets X Factor and the host of the Cool Your Jets podcast. Uh, Michael, great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the season opener this week, looking forward to football season finally being underway. Uh, so can't wait to get into it. All right. Outstanding. A lot of, lot of uh, uh, threads, uh, Ravens and Jets, obviously a lot of personnel, and in, in particular the front office personnel, Joe Douglas, uh, who came from the Ravens organization. Organizations very familiar with each other, despite not being in the same division. Uh, and uh, probably the, the, the topic that's at the top of everybody's mind is Joe Flacco. Is he going to start this game? Yeah, I, I think it's looking like Joe Flacco is, is going to be the guy. Um, it seems like the doors may be open for Zach Wilson a little bit. Um, Robert Sala on Monday said that Wilson went through some workouts and that they went pretty well and that they're going to monitor it. And Wednesday he's going to have a decision on it. But all signs are still kind of pointing to Joe Flacco being the guy, mainly just because you know he's been prepping for this for a few weeks now with Zach Wilson sidelined. Uh, he got the first team reps in the dress rehearsal game in the third week of the preseason. Uh, so I think all signs are kind of pointing to Flacco still being the guy, but there is a small chance it could be Wilson. But by all accounts, it would be a surprise if that were to happen. I think it's more likely that week two at the earliest, maybe week three, um, is when Zach Wilson will probably be able to get back. But I think it's going to be Flacco this week. All right. I, how uh, is, are, are Jets fans concerned about that at all? I just am interested to hear. Uh, uh, Flacco, uh, you know, obviously nearing the end of his career, probably he's 38 years old now, if I recall. Yeah, I, I think Jets fans kind of have, I think they're fairly confident in Flacco because, you know, the last couple, he's been here the last couple of years. And while he didn't win any of the games he started, he did play fairly fairly well from an efficiency perspective uh he has nine touchdowns and three picks as a jet which you know maybe tells a slightly misleading story about how well he played it's not to say he was outstanding but for a backup quarterback you know he has a good understanding of the scheme um having played under gary kubiak in baltimore um he so he does have a little bit of experience in the scheme he was here last year um and just the times that he came in the past couple years it wasn't explosive, it wasn't exciting or anything like that, but it was stable and it was consistent when he was in there. So I think as far as backup quarterbacks go, um, Jets fans are, are fairly confident that Flacco can give them an opportunity to at least stay in and compete in this game. Uh, so I, I definitely think that there's a, a, a good degree of confidence in him. Still a guy you can't leave alone in the pocket unpressured. He'll pick a defense apart with arm talent that is still there. Yeah, I think you you look back to his 2020 tape. I think that's what is kind of where the excitement in him still kind of comes from because in 2020 he started four games and throughout those games he, he was a pretty good deep passer, um, especially in his games against uh, there's a Monday night game against the Patriots and another game against the Chargers where he was launching a lot of really nice bombs down the field on go routes, posts, things like that. And the Jets didn't even have the best receiving uh, group at that time. He was throwing to Prashad Perriman, Denzel Mims, who's now the sixth receiver on the Jets. So it wasn't the best group, but Flacco was making a lot of big plays in 2020. Last year, it was a little more subdued, quicker throws, passes over the middle, slants, things like that. 
But um, I think there is some still some arm talent there. He, if you know, he has time in the pocket, he can make those plays. Um, and even in the preseason game, uh, getting on the move, he did make some nice plays as well. Which you know, I don't think he's going to create a lot of mobility on his own. But in this offense, there are going to be a lot of bootlegs, design rollouts off of play action, uh, and on those on those on the move throws we've seen in training camp and in the preseason that he can deliver fairly well which you might not expect from him considering his age and just his style of play and his athleticism or lack thereof but when the when the movement is designed and he has natural space and doesn't necessarily have to evade anyone he has been able to make some of those throws on the move so uh, so i think there's a, a decent a decently high floor with flacco going into this game ceiling definitely limited in comparison to someone like zach wilson uh and especially at this stage of flacco's career but the floor i think is is fairly high all right one of the things that, that was true of flacco and the kubiak offense in particular is one of the he, they're very good in play action and uh he did a lot of ran a lot of boots to create time and space so it's a lot of zone blocking to the left naked booting to the right um, and because Flacco is not mobile, that tended to fool the edge defender more often than it will with a player like Lamar Jackson under center. It's always been my, my thing. It's this weird dynamic that uh, a booting, immobile quarterback can generate more time and space than a booting, mobile quarterback who the defense is always keyed on. And the, the uh, uh, Flacco did, did quite well in those plays, created a lot of deep pass opportunities to Torrey Smith way back in the day. And, uh, and down that right sideline. But it's a staple of the Ravens' offense for many years. It started to not work as, as time went on, not as, not as well. People were looking for it, but, uh, but definitely something we're used to seeing from Joe. Yeah, and, and I think, like you said, um, in this third preseason game, I think we got a, a good look at a little bit of what you're talking about. And like you said, at this stage of his career, I think expectations should be tempered. But we did get to see some of that to where you don't – the defense isn't necessarily expecting it as much so when you fake those outside zones and he comes back to the other side of the field he was getting a lot of space and he was able to make you know even if there are easy throws into the flat he at least had the room to get it off and you know to read the levels of the field um mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see how he operates on those concepts against the ravens this sunday all right very good let's go back to the jets in general now and talk a little bit about the offseason changes in the preseason what were the biggest moves for the jets this offseason well i think on the offensive side uh, it starts with the, the offensive line. Um, they make the big addition in free agency with Lakin Tomlinson at guard, pro bowler from the Niners last year. He's definitely an upgrade at uh, at the left guard spot. Uh, well, Elijah Vera Tucker was the left guard last year who they drafted in the first round. He's going to kick over to the right side, and Tomlinson will take his place on the left, um, whereas last year, right guard was the big hole. Um, so now they have two guards with some talent. Um, then at tackle, it was was going to be the return of Makai Becton this year, but that didn't go as planned. He is already looking, uh, figures to be out for the season with another knee injury. So following that, the Jets pivoted and signed Dwayne Brown, who's like Joe Flacco, entering the twilight of his career, closing in on 40, but was still a solid player last year. He's going to start at left tackle. George Fant is going to kick over to the right side. Um, after replacing Becton on the left last year. Uh, so there's some maneuvering going on in the offensive line. Got a couple of big veteran additions with Brown and Lakin Tomlinson, who you know are accomplished players. Uh, they both have experience in this offense, so it should be they should be able to 
slide in fairly smoothly and be able to acclimate uh, with the teammates that they're joining. So offensive line, big moves there. And then you look at the skill positions offensively. Um, tight end was the big need going into this offseason. Uh, it's a scheme that relies on the tight ends. They want to play a lot of 12 personnel. Michael Floor bringing over uh, a lot of the same philosophies from San Francisco, the Kyle Shanahan offense. And the Jets couldn't run 12 personnel last year with their lack of tight end talent. But they go out this year and they make sure that's not a problem. They sign C.J. Uzama. They sign Tyler Conklin. And they draft Jeremy Rucker from Ohio State in the third round. So complete overhaul of the tight end unit. It's got guys who can block and catch. And that allows you to run 12 personnel more confidently, having guys who can do a little bit of both. Um, And then at receiver, there were a lot of big storylines soft season about the Jets potentially chasing some of the bigger names, whether it was Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, guys like that. None of that materialized, but the Jets were able to stay put in the 10th pick and select Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. So mm-hmm. he comes in, brings in some playmaking potential, you know, uh, high route running ceiling with his quickness out of breaks and just his creativity with his releases, um, his acrobatic catch ability and his ability to high point balls. He brings a lot of potential to the table. We'll see what he can contribute as a rookie, but the ceiling is definitely high uh, with him. And then you look into the backfield. Uh, they draft Brees Hall in the second round. Uh, running back wasn't a huge need after Michael Carter had a good rookie year last season, but sticking with the 49ers theme, um, it's always been about the committee backfield out there uh, while Michael Floor was with Shanahan in San Francisco. And it looks like that's what the Jets are going to try to accomplish now with Brees Hall and Michael Carter paired up in the backfield. I think to start out, we're going to see a pretty even split between those two guys. They both bring... A lot of elusiveness at the table, but I think Brees Hall brings a little bit more home run hitting long speed that Carter didn't necessarily bring. Um, so those two guys will complement each other well and allow the Jets to, to have that committee approach that the Niners have really popularized out on the West Coast. Um, so yeah, offensively, there's been a lot of movement. The, uh, the weapons are definitely diversified, improved a lot deeper. And then the offensive line, I think, is... I think the Jets have five guys who they think can come together and really form a, a solid unit. So offensively, there is certainly a much stronger supporting cast uh, around Zach Wilson once he gets back. Okay, so I'm going I'm to go back and we're going to talk about two items independently. So we'll just go, go to the first is the running back. Um, we'll come back to the draft in a moment. But Brees Hall added to that backfield. Uh, who is the better receiving threat among Hall and Carter? It's going to be interesting to see how that sort of plays out because Carter, his receiving usage last season kind of varied based on the quarterback. Um, while Mike White was in there um, relieving Zach Wilson for a few games, that's when Carter was getting a ton of targets. I think there was a span of three games where he uh, had about 30 targets total. Um, but while Zach Wilson was in there, he's only getting about a couple targets per game. So mm-hmm. Carter really showed last season that he is – very elusive on checkdowns. If he catches the ball in space, he can break tackles and get you more out of a simple dump off than a lot of other running backs can. Uh, but at the same time, he is a very small running back, about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, so pass blocking is a huge strength. Uh, he dropped some passes last year. Didn't see a ton of route running versatility. So I think the 
upside with him in the passing in passing situations is kind of limited, but as a checkdown option, he showed last year he's fantastic. Um, Brees Hall, on the other hand, I think brings a little bit more passing situation versatility than Carter does. Uh, much better size, uh, giving him more upside as a pass blocker. Uh, drops were less of an issue for him in college last year uh, than they were for Carter in his rookie year. Uh, and there's a little bit more route running versatility with him. Uh, on his college film, he was sent vertically occasionally and made some really nice catches outside of his frame. So I think Hall has the better upside. And we'll see how it gets, uh, how that is sort of distributed as the season goes on because Carter is listed as the number one running back on the depth chart for what it's worth going into the regular season uh, and did rookies get the first team reps. Yeah. The rookies, That's the way they always do it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And the Jets yeah. have, uh, Salah has really preached that. Even Sauce Gardner, uh, who, who we'll get to later on, I'm sure, uh, even he wasn't really officially declared a starter until pretty late in the preseason, not until after the third game. So, uh, so I'm not sure that means all that much, the fact that Carter's listed as number one right now. But uh, I give the upside to Hall in terms of uh, – give the edge to Hall in terms of the upside as a receiver. But Carter, his check down elusiveness is definitely an asset that I think is going to be useful, uh, utilized. Okay. So with with regard to checkdowns, Joe Flacco uh, certainly was in Baltimore, had a read-read check kind of uh, progression that he would do when he had Ray Rice to throw the ball to. Uh, it, it, do you expect this this coming Sunday, and of course Zach Wilson's not out there, or we, we presume he will not be, does that mean that, that Joe, we, we, we should see some uh, you know four-man routes effectively with a check down running back? Yeah, I definitely think there, there's going to be some conservative aspects to Flacco's play this week, and I think that's part of the appeal that at least in Jets fans' minds, that Flacco brings to the table because, you know, as as high as everyone is on Zach Wilson, you know, there were some games last season, especially against, you know, defenses that play a lot of man coverage that are aggressive, such as the Patriots and Broncos early last year, you know, where he did struggle with turnovers a little bit. So I think Flacco, in comparison, brings a little bit more of a conservative mindset to the table to where the ball can be protected and the team can, even if it's the offense isn't as exciting you know it can at least stay in it so like you said i think we will see some of that to where you know the checkdowns are built in and you know with both the tight ends and the running backs the jets do have far better safety valves this year than mm-hmm. they have had in previous years you know uh last year was tyler croft uh, tyler croft ryan griffin at tight end and they dropped a lot of passes and he couldn't rely on those guys to just make the easy plays and just be a safety blanket uh, for your quarterback to check the ball down to, even at running back, um, Carter did drop some passes. And then beyond him, uh, Ty Johnson played a lot of reps. Uh, who is still on the roster? He's their number three running back right now. Um, but he was playing a lot of reps at times, and I believe he led all running backs in the league in drops. There was one game against the Saints where he had three in the first half. Um, so the safety valves for the Jets haven't been good in recent years. But with the tight end additions, with the addition of Hall, it's going to be a lot. The quarterbacks going to have a lot more trust in those underneath options. So I do think we will see quite a bit of safe throws from Flacco on Sunday. Okay, second question. Let's go back to the tight ends for a moment because you mentioned a, a lot of 12 personnel. What's fitched with the San Francisco uh, origin of some of the scheme? The Ravens are certainly a 12 and 13 team, even uh, a, a fair amount. 
But the Ravens' defense is really built to play 12 personnel as much as any defense in the league, really, because they have such a strong safety room. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, the rookie, will be out there, and I presume they're going to play a lot of big nickel against 12 personnel. That's to be the most... I would be very sure of that, as opposed to putting a third corner on the field that they're going to want to have Kyle Hamilton on the field, uh, probably covering up that tight end on a fair number of plays. Uh, do you think that the, the Jets have a counter for that? Will, the, will Might the Jets try a lot of 11 on a week like this when they're facing the Ravens? Or do you think they'll they'll stick with their own game plan at being week one? That will be interesting to see because Michael LaFleur did show um, an impressive, impressive amount of malleability last year in terms of changing up the personnel because, you know, as I mentioned, they didn't have the tight end talent. And at the beginning of the year... They were a very 12-heavy team for probably the first five weeks or so prior to the bye week. But then after that, they came out of it, and they brought the 12 personnel way down, and they became one of the most 11 personnel-heavy teams in the post-bye week part of the season. Even 10 personnel was actually mm-hmm. um, a fixture for them. I think they ran it about 10% of the time, which you know doesn't seem like a lot, but it was one of the top numbers in the league. So it was impressive that LaFleur kind of worked around his personnel last season uh, saw what he could do and couldn't do and was willing to change it up Uh, I think he showed a lot more willingness to change than the defensive side of the ball did so considering the Ravens uh, and some of the things you brought up in terms of you know how they match up against this type of offense the Jets want to run I think we could see a, a good mix this week and maybe this is going to be a game where they don't quite run 12 personnel as often as they will throughout the season because LaFleur has shown that he does a good job of changing things up to what works. So um, I think it's definitely going to still be a fixture, the 12 personnel packages, because they spent a lot of money in these tight ends. I think they're going to want to enforce that part of their game, running the football, doing play action off of that. Um, but at the same time, I think LaFleur knows that he has a lot of speed and talent in this receiver room. And there are ways that he can win that way as well. So I think we could see a good balance this week. All right. All right. Well, let's go on to talk about some of the other offensive elements. The wide receiver core. Talk a little bit about what each of them bring to the offense. Yeah. So I think at receiver, it all starts with Elijah Moore this year. Um, Last year, second round pick had a had an amazing training camp where he turned a lot of heads. But the regular season comes around and the Jets get five, six games into the season, and Moore hadn't really done anything. I think he had about eight or nine catches throughout the first uh, six games of the season, but then he starts to turn it on in the middle of the season. Um, In his last six games, he was putting up big numbers. He's one of the top five to ten receivers in the league over that span in terms of his receiving production, and he got involved in the run game a little bit. Um, So he was showing a lot of promise, and then his season – came to an end with an injury. He missed his last uh, five or six games. But this offseason comes back healthy, uh, continued his excellence in training camp, and the expectation is that he elevates into their top option uh, and a guy who could you know, be the engine of this passing game. Um, he's a very good all-around route runner. Uh, even though he's a, a smaller guy at about 5'9", he's not pigeonholed to the slot. He played on the outside quite a bit last year and he can run just about any route in the route tree we saw him uh went deep 
We saw him win on quick slants, uh, such as against Miami when he beat Byron Jones on a slant and took it over 60 yards to the house. Uh, sees the long speed after the catch. He really is the complete package outside of the size and the frame and the limitations that come with that. So the expectation is that he sort of, and actually an interesting comparison for him, and Joe Flacco brought this up um, a couple weeks ago in terms of who Elijah Moore reminds him of. He brought up Steve Smith from his days playing with him with the Ravens uh, as a good comparison for Elijah Moore. I think there is a lot of similarity there in terms of guys who are on the smaller side but are so skilled that they could thrive to a star caliber level in spite of that. So Elijah Moore, high expectations for him this year. Um, Then you look at Corey Davis, who's going to be a big X factor this year. Uh, The Jets signed him last year as a free agent from the Titans, and he he was their top option going to last season. Um, But it didn't entirely go as planned to start the season. He was dropping passes a lot more frequently than he ever had before. Uh, he struggled to separate against some of the man coverage teams they played early in the season, such as New England and Denver. Uh, so it was a rough season for Davis last year while he was healthy in terms of he just had some issues that weren't common for him prior to the year. Um, but I think the expectation for Davis is that if he can just get the drops down to his previous career rate prior to last year, um, he should be able to have a nice number two season next to Elijah Moore. And, you know, you look at his 2020 season with the Titans, the, you know, the breakout year that put him on track to, to be a big free agent ac- acquisition for the Jets. Um, he was a number two next to A.J. Brown. It was, you know, feeding mm-hmm. off of Brown's success where he was able to be so efficient in 2020. Um, and I think last year in that number one role, he was, you know, it was maybe a little bit too much pressure for him. But, if Elijah Moore can develop into that number one guy and Corey Davis can slide into uh, more shadow a little bit, I think that should allow him to be more comfortable and be a solid uh, complementary weapon for them. Uh, he did lose some weight this offseason, so uh, maybe we could see his game shift a little bit more uh, into the quickness and the route running to maybe fit him into this offense a little bit because he is a bigger-bodied guy whose game is more about uh, verticality, um, and just, you know, playing physically more so than it's ever been about route running. But with maybe a little bit more quickness, taking some pounds off, uh, he could be able to fit it a little bit better. Um, Garrett Wilson is going to be interesting to see how how big of a role he has this year because there are so many mouths to feed on this offense with the new tight ends, the two receivers I mentioned. Uh, in the backfield, there are going to be targets thrown there. So... You could, I think we could see him maybe have a relatively small role to start out. But with his talent, you know, if he can make some plays early and just prove himself to be a weapon who deserves targets, I think his role can grow quickly. And maybe he can overtake Corey Davis uh, if he can get off to a hot start. Um, So we'll see how his role develops. Uh, Drops are something to monitor with him. Uh, He wasn't, wasn't fantastic at avoiding drops in college. He was about average for an fbs receiver last year in terms of drops uh, and then in training camp he did uh pretty consistently drop passes it wasn't an issue in preseason he played pretty well in his limited preseason time um but the drops will will be something to monitor with him and then i think it's also worth mentioning uh braxton barrios here um last season down the stretch when the jets offense was starting to improve a little bit barrios was a big part of it uh with 
getting on jet motion, uh, jet you know jet sweeps, end arounds, screens, things like that. Manufactured offense. He was really good in those areas. Um, and in addition to what he was doing with the ball, uh, just having him out there and the threat of him really opened up a lot of things for the run game as well. So uh, they re-signed Barrios. He was a free agent, uh, and he looks like he's going to be a big part of the offense in terms of what he can do pre-snap and in the run game just to open up lanes and uh, run some of those manufactured plays by himself. So, um, yeah, those are the top four weapons, and it's going to be very interesting to see how the Jets kind of spread the ball around between those guys. Okay, I've lost track of a player possibly, and that's Denzel Mims. Is he still, still with the Jets? Yeah, Mims is still there, and it's he's going to be a big, a big wild card this year because he requested a trade pretty recently. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't materialize, but he did come out after that and have a pretty dominant game against the Giants to close the preseason. But um, it's been a rough ride for him the past, uh, really since the new Jets regime came in at the start of 2021. It's It's been all downhill for Denzel Mims last year. Uh, he was battling food poisoning, then he came back, and he couldn't grasp the playbook, and he fell down the depth chart. Regular season comes. He was inactive for a lot of games, even while healthy. And then when he did get chances to start, when other players were injured, he just didn't produce. He had a lot of pre-snap penalties. He dropped passes. He couldn't separate. You know, He would have full games where he would get two targets because he just couldn't get open. So he, he really struggled last year in his fall down the depth chart is pretty much his own doing but he has survived to this point i think the jets still believe in his talent and don't want to trade him for less than they perceive he's worth which is why he's still around uh so so we could see you know maybe he gets to play a little bit show some talent Uh, other teams have injuries or get desperate maybe the jets see a package that they deem as worthy for him but uh, but I think he's going to get some reps because injuries happen and he's going to climb up the depth chart and he'll get another opportunity to, to prove that he can fulfill some of the tremendous physical traits that he has. But all the fundamentals have, have been issues for him. Okay, so a lot of, a lot of Ravens fans really wanted him when the Ravens ended up drafting uh, uh, Jakey Dobbins in the second round. He, uh, I think it was five picks different. Or so, or so, or at least the Ravens had 55 and 60, and I think they drafted Dobbins, and then they lost their ability by 60 to draft Mims, if that, if that sounds right in terms of where Mims was drafted. Uh, but anyway, the, 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 the point being, that's a lot of receiving talent on one team to have available. I mean, a lot. The Ravens you know, are, are, are probably very jealous looking at that room of receivers. And the Ravens' weakness being at cornerback, as I perceive it, um, Peters is is not known whether he'll be back or not. Um, but he might he might be back for the opener, but he probably will not. Uh, started started late in terms of practice and uh, came off the pup list. Uh, they they have Humphrey uh, back there. They have uh, Kyle Fuller trying to make a comeback in Baltimore. They have a guy who missed all of preseason in Jalen Howard Davis. They have Pepe Williams who looks like he'll be the, the you know a good slot cornerback. But the Ravens really lack cornerbacks uh, to face a team that could field ten personnel. And if I'm looking at this Jets team, I'm saying that and not twelve is really what scares the hell out of me about them. Yeah, and. That's really what was was leading to success down the stretch for them last season is when they went away from the twelve personnel and were and this and this is with you know arguably less talent than they have right now, 
um, when they're spreading it out and really going with those three wide receiver sets and those four receiver sets. Uh, and now you throw in Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis wasn't healthy in the second half of the last year while they were doing this. Um, so you throw him in as well. And that really is where a lot of the damage could be done, even though the core of this offense is supposed to be the run game of the 12 personnel and working off of that. Uh, it's with these four guys spread out where the potential lies. And I think we still have to see it proven first. You know, Garrett Wilson is a rookie, so you don't know what you're going to get from him this year or if he'll pan out at all, because, you know, that's just how the draft works. You really never know. But obviously the ceiling with him is high. Um, Elijah Moore has to stay healthy, missed uh, six games last year. So he has to do that and he has to build off of the hot finish he had. Uh, Corey Davis, like I said, had uh, struggled at times last year, and he needs to show that he can bounce back. So, so there are question marks for sure, but the the ceiling with this group is definitely, I think, higher in comparison to you know the having the tight ends on the field. And that's not to say that those guys don't have talent as well. But if if everything pans out for the receiver room, it can be a really dangerous unit. All right. All right, looking at that, I'm just seeing. I'm 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 thinking 12 versus versus 10. The, the Jets will be doing the Ravens a favor every 12 snap they play, relative to 10. I mean, yeah. the, the, the Ravens are not uh, are are really not uh, built to to line up against 12 personnel with four cornerbacks, which is they did. They played the Arizona Cardinals in 2019, and they ran a four corner dime on 19 plays, and that was 19 of the 21 times they ran it that year. Uh, this team, there's there's depth in the secondary, but it's almost all at safety. Their corner depth is actually very fragile, and so you know, getting their fourth corner on the field is is a very uh, uh, you know positive thing, I would think, for the New York Jets if you're if you're looking how to how to scheme for this game. Uh, I I did want to ask about a fullback. Do they use a fullback at all, uh, the Jets, or, or are they not a fullback team? So that is going to be something to watch this year because last year they did use the fullback. They had uh, Trevon Wesco, who was their third tight end, uh, who they now waived as part of roster cuts. Uh, he got claimed by the Bears, and he was actually a popular waiver claim. I think five different teams put claims on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but last year it started out with him. Then they claimed Nick Bauden, who was formerly of the Lions. He, he was a pure fullback. And he was playing some reps at the end of the year. So last year was something they did. But now going to this year, uh, like I said, they waived Wesco. They also waived Nick Bauden. Um, so they don't really have a guy who has that fullback experience. But perhaps Jeremy Rucker, the rookie tight end, who they drafted from Ohio State in the third round, he could do a little bit of it. But outside of him, there isn't really a candidate on the roster who could play that role. And even Rucker didn't pretty much didn't do it at all during the preseason and training camp. So so maybe it is something that they're going to remove from the picture this year. But last year it is something they did a little bit. But we'll have to see if that continues this year because the guys who are doing it are no longer here and people they have in the roster don't have the experience playing in that role. So we'll see if it's something that they still use or if they more so shift towards uh, just the two tight end alignments. This is interesting because you mentioned the Bears and them taking taking Wesco and making making a lot. Well, there were a lot of claims on Wesco. The Bears picked up six players from the waiver claim process. The Jaguars picked up five. It's like a second draft for these teams. Yeah, it's just it's it's crazy. The uh, the look at that. All right, uh, 
what do we not hit on on offense? Anything in the, on the rest of the offense, overarching scheme, theme points you want to hit on before we move on to the defense? Uh, I think we covered it for the most part. Um, I just think it's going to be interesting to see how the Jets kind of strike a run-pass balance this season because it seems like they want to be a run-heavy team. You look at the tight end additions. You look at drafting, a, trading up and drafting a running back in the second round. Um, so all those things kind of point to the run game. But you also have, you know, and he's probably not going to play on Sunday, but you have this talented quarterback in Zach Wilson who you drafted second overall a couple of years ago. You have a receiver who you drafted 10th overall. So there's a lot of upside in that passing game too. So it will be interesting to see, do they want to be a very run-heavy team and aim for a lower volume, higher efficiency pass game? Uh, or are they going to try to strike an even balance between those two things? Um, so seeing how they, which you know, which facet of the offense is more effective, which one they lean towards, uh, is going to be one of the more fascinating things to watch as the season develops. All right, fair enough. Let's flip over the defense here and talk a little bit about the most common um, uh, base and pass defense looks. So when the other team, the Ravens, show a lot of 12, 21, 13 personnel, uh, when you when the Jets face that, what are they likely to put on the field in terms of of their package look and and who they uh, how they scheme up to defend them? Yeah, well, the Jets were a pretty pretty heavy base team last year. I think they're one of the heavier um, mm-hmm. base teams in the league in terms of you know just sticking with their four uh, three group. Um, actually, four two five was what they usually went with. They didn't uh, go to the the normal four three base a ton. Uh, they were pretty pretty reliant on that four two five. That was what they went to for the most part. Um, and the well, defense, kinda, if anybody puts three receivers on the field, you're you're forced into the nickel. So uh, all teams like basically use a four two five pretty much as a base uh, in terms of what they say. Even teams that think of themselves as three four teams are really playing four two five as as their regular look when the other team puts on the most common offense of all 11 personnel, most common package. Right. Um, I think defensively what's going to be most interesting to watch is to see how how willing the coaching staff is to change things up because they were very rigid last year and there wasn't a lot of uh, malleability in terms of being willing to change on a weekly basis to adapt to the opponent. The Jets are consistently beaten by many of the same types of plays uh, on a weekly basis and there was a little bit of change later later in the season in terms of you know maybe allowing the quarter the corners to move around based on matchups rather than keeping them restricted to sides Um, but that was a big issue last year the lack of adjustments on defense so this year i think all eyes are going to be on robert sala and defensive coordinator jeff olbrick and you know to see if they're willing to change things up on a week-to-week basis uh, because last year it was it was pretty strict in terms of their philosophies and their game plan each week. So uh, especially against unique opponents like the Ravens, who who are you know very deviant from typical you know t- trends around the league, they have a very unique offense. Um, can they change things up to be willing to fit uh, to to do what needs to be done to stop those teams? Because especially against the Ravens, you know the Jets are a four-three attacking one gapping defensive line and that can be exploited by a heavy gap blocking team like the Ravens. So do they have answers in store for teams that have the offense to exploit some of the things that they rely on 
defensively? That's going to be one of the big questions. What did they do to rush the passer that was uh, different from a normal straight four-man rush? What did they, did they rush numbers? They used deception, stunts, uh, uh, drops from the line of scrimmage, simulated pressures. What, what did they use? So they did do a decent amount of stunting last year. Uh, I would say in first and second down, you would see that occasionally. Um, they did have a pretty strong tendency to, you know, first two downs, keep it fairly traditional, a lot of four-man, not a ton of blitzing. But third down, they did have a really strong tendency to go to man pressures. And it was, and, and this goes back to just the lack of, you know, creativity and things like that. Uh, it was quite predictable throughout last season that, you know, first two downs, fairly safe, not a ton of blitzing. Usually it'd be four rushers and then third down man pressure. So to mix it up a little bit, maybe a few, a uh, few more pressures first, second down, or, you know, more pressure packages first, sec- first and second down, maybe mix it up on third down a little bit, not as many man pressures could, could be beneficial. But, um, but yeah, I think first two downs for the most part last year, last year, um, straight up four man rush, they would stunt occasionally, um, and then third down was usually man pressures. Okay. All right, let's talk about a little bit about the defensive line to start with. And I'm always interested to know how other teams rotate their personnel on the defensive line. Ravens a very heavy rotation team. They never allow any linemen to, to be on the field for you know 75% of the snaps or anything like that. Uh, the division rival Steelers in their you know 4-3 base had inside guys that would that would play a ton of defensive snaps just a, just an unbelievable number and i'm like you know aaron smith and play te- uh, players like that going way back uh just around the field an amazing amount relative to what the ravens would have them are the jets a, are very much a rotational team or do they uh, uh do rely on a few players more this is definitely a heavy rotation defense and i think some of the moves they made this offseason are reflective of how they want to approach that part of the game. Um, they went out and they drafted Jermaine Johnson in the first round, Ed Rusher from Florida State, mm-hmm. uh, traded up to get him. Uh, Carl Lawson's coming back from injury. And even with those two moves, they still signed Jacob Martin from Houston to a to a mid-level, high-level backup deal that he's going to play reps. They draft Michael Clemens in the fourth round, another Ed Rusher. And he had a very impressive preseason and is going to fight for reps. Uh, they bring over Solomon Thomas, from the from the 49ers uh, Raiders last year 49ers prior to that um so this is uh, they have 10 defensive linemen on the roster and it seems like all these guys are going to push for reps it's a Wait rotation a Hold on. team 10 defensive linemen yeah 10 defensive linemen right now <laughs> I, th- I think you would say five of them are deep tackles five edge but it's it's deep and all okay. these guys are going to get reps uh, okay, so I, I'm yeah. with you now. That's not that outrageous. Okay, so f- you, normally maybe four or five edge and five or six d- d- defensive linemen would be would be normal. That's uh, I thought you actually had ten in, uh, interior defensive linemen. That would really okay, be okay. Uh, okay, yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's a it's a rotation heavy defense. That's the way they played it last year, and I think last year it was to a fault a little bit because the talent wasn't quite there. Carl Lawson missed all of last season. Um, and then outside of that, the edge group wasn't quite as deep without him there. Uh, so they were rotating a lot. And guys like Quinn and Williams, who is, um, you know, a, a very talented defensive tackle, it was playing, you know, probably not as many reps as he could have, especially in comparison to 
other players of his talent level who were playing more snaps and producing more because of it, uh, whereas he is rotating out and in in favor of players who maybe shouldn't have been playing as many reps. But this year, with a lot more depth on that defensive line, I think that rotation approach is is going to really shine through. Being able to have these guys rested and come out on third down with you know a fresh Jermaine Johnson and a fresh Jacob Marin and Bryce Huff and Michael Clemens. Uh, so this is a rotation-heavy team. I don't think anyone's, over the course of the season, going to average more than 65 70% of the snaps, absolute max. That's probably Quinn Williams, John Franklin Myers, maybe Carl Lawson gets there. Uh, but you should see you know, seven, eight guys playing at least 25 to 30% of the snaps. It's a very rotation-heavy team. Okay. I, I would think that would serve the Jets well against the Ravens. The Ravens, now we don't know if they're going to be able to get back to 2019 or 20 in terms of what the run, run game was, but they certainly built the offensive line. They've acquired additional tight ends. They've uh, you know got an additional running back. So uh, there's, there's some hope that they'll be able to do the things with Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, directing traffic back there uh, that, would, that will make the read options powerful again. And teams that have had a lot of personnel defensive line and rotate, I think have traditionally been more effective against the Ravens in the Jackson era. Not always by huge amounts, but the the worst situation you'd be on is to have a low number of defensive line where you can't rotate and the Ravens have you in one of these 75 snap games on offense for them where they're really out snapping you and they're running you into the ground and some of your defensive linemen have to play a lot of consecutive snaps. So I think the Jets approach probably works very well against the Ravens here. Yeah, for sure. And I think listening to Robert Sala and Jeff Ulbrich speak about it throughout this offseason, it really seems like that's their goal because this is an aggressive defensive line. They want to one gap, play downhill. And when you're playing that way, it is you know, generally a little more taxing than the alternative. And I think pass rushing is their main goal with this defensive line. Maybe to a fault, there are questions with this run defense. It was an issue last year with guys over pursuing and getting punished by counters and traps and things like that so we'll see how they balance that but pass rushing is clearly the goal for this defensive line much more so over the run game side of things and you look at the talent on this defensive line most of it is very pass centric um outside of quinn and williams who's a great two-way player the majority of these guys their skill set leans them towards pass rushing so i think that's what they want to do. They want to have fresh guys out there who can explode off the ball, get in the backfield, create havoc, uh, and just keep rotating them to make sure that they're always fresh. So uh, that's the main goal. We'll see how they can balance that with run defense. You know, can you create pass rushing without sacrificing the run defense too much by being over aggressive? But the main goal for them clearly is explosiveness, speed, uh, with the goal of creating a pass rush. Jermaine Johnson, how's he looked in the preseason so far? Because that was a player a lot of Ravens fans were excited to draft. And, and a lot of people thought, you know, the Ravens might have taken him with their second pick instead of a player like Tyler Linderbaum. Jermaine Johnson has been, it, it's been a solid start, I'd say, for him. It hasn't, he hasn't been as much of a standout as I think other rookies in this class, but but the flashes have been there. Uh, I think in, he, he stood out more in training camp practices and joint practices than in the preseason. Uh, preseason wasn't terribly active, but I think the expectation for Johnson this year 
is um, to provide solid run defense because, like I mentioned, this is a defensive line with some weaknesses in that side of things. I think he's going to be one of the guys who compensates for compensates for that, um, plays more more often on rundowns. Uh, he has the length to set the edge. He's a really good motor to chase plays from the backside. Good tackler who can finish plays. Uh, his fundamentals as, as an edge setter in the run game are pretty good. So I think that's what the Jets want to get from him this year. Uh, pass rushing, that side of things might be a little bit more of a work in progress. Um, as a pass rusher this preseason, he did get a decent amount of reps, and he didn't win as often as I think you would like him to once he gets to his ceiling. So I think, and that was also an issue, I think, you know, on his profile coming out of Florida State, didn't win quite as often as a pass rusher as some of the other first-round prospects. So I think the pass rushing, that might not come along until year two, maybe year three, as he gets some time to develop just the, just, you know, expand his repertoire and master that side of the game. But I think to start out, good run defense, uh, then throw in his motor and his athleticism, you know, pick up hustle sacks, chase down plays, get tackles for loss, things like that will be the goal. But I do think that in terms of, you know, can he come in in year one and be a true top-end pass rusher in terms of how much pressure he, he creates, how often he wins? I think expectations are a little bit tempered there, but there there are some high-floor traits that he brings, especially in the run game. Yeah, I, I, I would agree from, from watching him last year at Florida State, particularly that Notre Dame game. He had a fantastic game against Notre Dame. And a lot of it was playing very good positional defense, I thought. Held the edge extremely well, even when uh, he unblocked on a play or two. He was good at maintaining space, maintaining containment effectively well, especially well. Again, I think that's a trait that would serve him very well against a team like the Ravens, where you don't always know where the football's going, and you better be playing sound fundamental defense. Yeah, and I think he's going to be one of the guys who really has a big responsibility against the Ravens in this game because I think that's the biggest fear for the Jets in this matchup is this aggressive defensive line against a team like the Ravens that really keeps you on your toes and you don't know where that ball is going. You have a quarterback who, if he keeps it, is a massive threat when he gets out on the edge. So these edge defenders are really going to be challenged because they are downhill explosive guys, whether it's Carl Lawson, who who has played quite a few games against the Ravens in his career. Um, whether it's him, uh, Bryce Huff, Jacob Barron, a lot of these edge rushers are, you know, fitting the mantra that Robert Sala has, all gas, no break. They fit that to a T. And much of the time, that's a great thing to have. But against this team, you do want to have a little bit more discipline to your game. Uh, and I think that's where Jermaine Johnson's going to come in. I think he is probably, the of all the, Jet, of all the Jets edge rushers, probably their best answer to some of the things that the Ravens can do. So in his debut here, I think even if it's not in an explosive pass rushing sort of way in terms of just you know beating tackles consistently, I think his run defense will be crucial in this first game. All right, let's move on to the linebackers here. And, and uh, I'll just say Baltimore still misses C.J. Mosley. I know he hasn't been on the field all the time for you guys, but uh, certainly the Ravens inside linebacker group really has never recovered fully since he left. Uh, in 2019, 20, and 21, it's it's probably been the weakest defensive group they've had, um, and uh, you know they, they they did draft Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. Neither has worked out completely, 
Um, they brought in Josh Brines, frankly, twice to, to, to fix their inside linebacker core, which is which is crazy that a guy his age would be able to do that. And LJ Fort, uh, you know, gave him some value there. But they really have, have just missed what CJ brought to the field in terms of being that all-around linebacker who could tackle and cover some. And uh, and one of the things I loved about CJ was his awareness on things that were happening between level two and three in the passing game. And maybe maybe talk about maybe where he is at this point in his career, where you see him for the Jets and the rest of the linebacking core. Yeah, Mosley is uh, a player who I think, you know, last season was a tough situation for him. He missed the majority of 2019, his first season with the Jets, uh, opted out of 2020. So he comes out last year and it's his first you know, he stayed healthy and it was his first full season in three years. Uh, and I think there, you did see him take a little bit of a step back compared to when he was a Pro Bowl level. Um, there were some times where he got caught in some man to man situations, especially against, uh, there's a game against the Eagles. I think Dallas Goddard got him a couple times. Uh, so there were some times in coverage he did get exploited. But, but what you mentioned in terms of him being able to, some of those more subtle aspects of the passing game where it's just, you know, navigating the route concepts, being in the right spot. That's something I think he still does pretty well. And last year, you didn't really get to feel that impact as much because some of the players around him were struggling so much that it didn't really seem like that it was affecting the game. But this year, ideally, with some better talent around him at cornerback um, in the linebacker room, hopefully that can shine through a little bit more and he won't be made to look as bad when you're watching it you know, on TV. But in terms of, you know, him just mentally and all those traits that made him such an intriguing linebacker to sign in 2019, all that is still there. I think last year you still saw the recognition, um, him being able to replays, get to the right spot, run good routes to the football, take good angles was all there. Overall, I think his run defense is still very good. He finished tackles pretty well, uh, was able to make a lot of plays in the run game. Um, We'll, we'll just have to see this year, I think, you know, in, in pass coverage uh, outside of the – I think his zone coverage is still pretty good, but there there were times where he did uh, make a few mistakes in terms of on the ball when the ball is in his area. So we'll see if maybe that's something that as he gets into his 30s takes a little bit of a step back. But overall, uh, and he, he was named a team captain a couple of days ago, so that aspect of it is absolutely still there. He's – Still one of the leaders in that locker room, so brings a lot to the table in that area as well. But um, to talk about the rest of the linebackers, um, this is one of the probably one of the bigger question marks on defense. Uh, next to him, you have Quincy Williams, who they claimed early last season from Jacksonville, um, and he ended up starting for most of the year. Um, he's a player who's very boomer bust. I think last year, you know, he's a smaller linebacker. He's very athletic. And there are, there are times where he'll bust up a screen in the backfield and it, you know, he makes an enormous hit and it gets the crowd going and it looks awesome. But for every one of those, there are a couple of plays where, you know, he'll penetrate the wrong gap in the run game and the running back will cut back on him and pick up a big gain. Or there will be another screenplay that he overruns and then gives up a big gain there. So Quincy Williams is a guy the Jets are uh, pretty high on considering they didn't try to improve this unit too much in the offseason and they gave him the opportunity to start again uh, so they're high in his potential he fits 
what I think they want out of their linebackers. Um, outside of Mosley, who who this regime didn't add, was here prior to that regime. Uh, outside of Mosley, the linebacker additions have been smaller guys, more athletic guys with a focus on pass coverage. And Quincy Williams brings that upside, but he's really got to clean up the discipline because the mistakes he was he was making last year were a big part of why the defense struggled. Um, then beyond him, you have Quan Alexander, who the Jets brought in pretty late in the offseason. Um, he's a guy who I think still has really good ability in the passing game. He's got good good coverage skills. He is able really good recognition. I think chasing plays down into the flat the screen game. Um, and also has pretty good route recognition in the middle of the field. Um, the question with him though is the run defense. I think he's definitely shown. I think this is part of why he only signed with them on a cheap deal. There wasn't a ton of demand for him. Um, definitely susceptible to missed tackles in the run game, not taking the best angles there. Um, and, and that's a theme th- for this Jets defense. They're at the front seven. A lot of athleticism, a lot of passing game talent, but run game is a big question mark. And that's what makes the Ravens such a scary matchup is the fact that, you know, the Ravens are one of the best running teams in the league. And this is a front seven that's not totally equipped to stop the run. So linebackers, I think there's a lot of athleticism and upside in this group, uh, especially in the passing game. But we'll have to see how they can do against the run this year. All right. Very good. Now, um, one thing I did want to ask you about is is how they platoon the linebackers on passing downs. So you mentioned four two five. That can mean different things to different people on passing downs because it could be a, a, a safety in for a weak side linebacker on passing downs with a nickel behind that. Do they do they play bring in extra safeties as sub package linebackers? What do they what do they actually do? So this is something that could change in comparison to last year because for the most part last season they would have two linebackers who would play the pretty much the entire game. Um, at the beginning of the year it was Jared Davis, previously of the Lions, who I think is back with the Lions now, it was him and Mosley. Then Davis gets hurt, Quincy Williams takes over, and it was mostly those two guys for the entire game. There would occasionally be a sub linebacker in when they would go to base. Um, Jamie and Sherwood right now would probably uh, was that guy last year. Um, maybe would play that role a little bit this year. Um, but now I think maybe things could be a little bit different because with Quan Alexander and Quincy Williams, I think those two guys are maybe on a similar talent level or maybe not talent level. I think Alexander's clearly the more accomplished player, but the Jets have more uh, investment in Williams in terms of you know their connection to him. So I think we could see. Mosley's going to play every down. Um, mm-hmm. But outside of him, I think there could be a little bit of a platoon between Quan Alexander and Quincy Williams splitting those other snaps. Um, I think we saw the Niners do a little bit of that recently. They didn't, at times, didn't necessarily have you know two every down linebackers. There would be Fred Warner who plays every down. Then outside of that, they would mix it up a little bit between multiple guys. Um, this That could be what we see this year, a little bit more from the Jets with Quan Alexander in the mix. Is either of them obviously a rundown linebacker as opposed to a pass down linebacker? It sounds like both of them, uh, you know, quickness and trying to be a passing down linebacker is what you're looking for. Yeah, that that's what's going to make this so interesting to see how they decide to do it because there isn't really that skill set difference with these guys. They're kind of similar. So, it, you know, if they had another linebacker who was more of a thumper and you could put him in, 
you know, on rundowns, play that strong side spot or play the mic, then, you know, maybe he would be the guy you go to in base situations and things like that. But these two players have pretty similar strengths and weaknesses. So how they split it up will be interesting. But I do think their talent uh, disparity, you know, being similar in talent is going to make it to where they do play similar amount of reps. But this this one is uh, pretty TBD because it's different than last year. And we didn't, you know, preseason was too small of a sample to really see how that's going to play out. So uh, we'll see how that how that plays out. But I do think Quincy Williams and Quan Alexander will will both be playing a significant amount of reps uh, in a platoon sort of way. Just so I'm, I'm it's it's uh, Mosley still has the green dot or is it somebody else? Yeah. Yeah. Mosley. OK, well, let's talk about the secondary a little bit and maybe just work through whatever you order you like corners and safeties and, and uh, what their roles are. Yeah, so to start a corner, I think this is a position that the Jets are hoping can could be a strength this year and for the first time in, in a long time. Uh, and it all starts with the fourth pick in the draft, Sauce Gardner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's typically fair to keep your expectations measured for rookie corners because it's such a hard position to play as a rookie. Um, and the Jets do play a lot of really good receivers this year. Um, so maybe it'll be an up and down season for him, but the way he played in the preseason uh, and just throughout training camp really inspired confidence that maybe he is a solid starting quarter uh, corner just to start out his career. Because in the preseason, whether it was man, whether it was zone, his coverage was consistently really solid, and he ended up never being targeted while playing 24 snaps in coverage. Uh, so expectations for him long term are you know, as high as it gets. But for this year, I think the Jets are hoping he can at least be a above average solid starter. And that would definitely be a huge upgrade and, and an asset for them. Um, then in addition to him, the Jets bring over uh, DJ Reed, free agent from Seattle, who had a breakout season last year. Uh, undersized guy who was previously playing uh, in the slot. He played a little bit of safety with the Niners, with the Seahawks. But last year, they move him to the right corner spot. He plays there. Uh, you know, in that defense, the corners don't move, just one side, similar to the Jets. Um, and he plays right corner, and he has a very effective season. He's one of the better cover corners in the league, was mm-hmm. not beaten often last year. Uh, so he's a guy who can come in. He's ready to just man that right side of the field, bring good zone coverage. His run defense and his tackling is pretty good as well. Um, that's where I think the Jets are going to improve against the run this year is in the secondary. Um, between Gardner, between DJ Reed, uh, and also at safety, and we'll get to him next, uh, but Jordan Whitehead, um, the tackling in the secondary is a lot better. So the last line of defense should be improved, even if it still might be fairly easy to get through the first level the Jets run defense. I think their second level should prevent some of those game-breaking runs. Um, But yeah, that cornerback duo is one the Jets are hoping could be a strength. In the slot, they have Michael Carter II, who was a fifth-round pick from Duke last year. He had a solid rookie season. Nothing splashy in terms of takeaways and things like that, but good recognition in zone coverage, good tackler in the flat, and just really made very few mistakes last year, which is what I think you want from your slot corner. So between that cornerback trio, it's a group that I think the Jets are hoping can be strength, and it's not something this team has had in a very long time. But... um. You pair it up with the pass rush that they hope they can have. And I 
think that their main goal defensively this season is going to be uh, sure they might give up some long drives because of the run defense, um, maybe some of the deficiencies at linebacker. But with the pass rush they have in this cornerback group, they're hoping to get some takeaways, um, pair up good coverage with the pass rush to get some sacks, win on third down, win in the red zone uh, to make up for potentially some long drives. So cornerback is an exciting part of the future of this defense. Okay, so in terms of scheme, are they a more of a zone or man team? Usually, oftentimes you'll see, you know, a player like Gardner obviously can do whatever the hell he wants, probably, and probably is a good gambler or a good bet to be a good gambler at some point during his career. But he's mostly a press man guy, right? Yeah, I think press man is something that uh, it's not something the Jets did a ton last year, but it will be interesting to see. You know, with Gardner here, a guy who has the ability to be one of the best corners in the league in that type of coverage um do they go to it more often because last year it wasn't something they did frequently but we saw the jets later in the year against there was one game against the bills where the jets were absolutely torched they the bills kept putting digs on the side of the field with the jets weaker corners uh and he just continued to torch them then after that the jets became a little bit more open the rest of the season to moving their corners around, Mm -hmm. putting their number one guy, Bryce Hall, uh, on the opposing number one receiver. And the results were mixed, but, you know, with the talent being better now with Sauce Gardner, you know, I think we will see them continue some of those trends from the end of last season where they do let the corners occasionally follow if the the situation makes sense. Um, And then in those situations, we could see some more press man than they typically play because they're usually a cover one or cover three team single high um Mm -hmm. and just you know similar to you know there's there's some seattle to this defense too in addition to san francisco because sal and jeff olbrick both shared some time in seattle in the early 2010s during the legion of boom era or really kind of prior to that actually um and so they bring over some of that those philosophies as well so corners for the most part stay on one side of the field dj reed's probably going to be that right side guy Gardner in the left side um so for the most part those guys will stay home but like I said end of last season we saw them show a little bit more willingness to move them around and now that you have a guy like Gardner who has so much matchup potential with his length and the fluidity that he can pair up with that length I think we will see them carry that over a little bit and maybe occasionally do some following do some press man when it calls uh, when the situation calls for it all right, outstanding. That's a good. That's a good uh, primer on the on the corners for sure. Let's talk a little bit about the safeties. Yeah, safety. I think goes right there with linebackers. One of the question groups, um, and we're more so talking about the free safety spot. So I think it's strong safety. They signed Jordan Whitehead from the Bucks. You know, contributed to a Super Bowl defense a couple years ago. Um, he's going to be a big help in the run defense. This is one of the spots where you can look at it. And say the Jets are, are going to improve there. Um, he's a in, he's an enforcer in the box. He is a hard hitter, lives near the line of scrimmage, almost basically serves as an extra linebacker, uh, does a great job running chasing. And he will also, I think, be key in stopping Jackson in this game because he played against some mobile quarterbacks out there in the NFC South, uh, Taysom Hill, Cam Newton, and mm-hmm. we've seen him have some good games. Uh, stopping quarterbacks, chasing them down on the edge, making some plays in space against mobile quarterbacks. So 
Whitehead's going going to be a key part of this game in terms of stopping Jackson in the run game. Uh, in coverage, I think he should be an upgrade over what the Jets have had. I think he can be considered an average coverage defender thanks to his zone defense. I think he is able to see what's in front of him pretty well and process it, come downhill, make finishes. Um, not much of a man defender, but when, when things are in front of him, he does a good job of coming downhill and making the stops. Uh, at free safety, though, there is where the questions start to come in. Um, starting free safety is to start the year is going to be LaMarcus Joyner, who was previously a good, solid starting free safety uh, with the Rams, but that was a long time ago. That was back in 2018. After that, he signed with the Raiders, and they moved into slot corner. That didn't go too well. Jets signed him last year. He was going to move back to free safety, but he misses the entire season uh, with an elbow injury. Uh, so now that he's into his 30s and the Jets are hoping he can get back to playing at that previous level with the Rams. But uh, that was uh, four four years ago at this point. So uh, so there are some question marks with him considering the age. He didn't have a very good training camp in preseason uh, consistently on the on the tape, both in the preseason and in the limited uh, training camp footage. Uh, he was caught out of position at times and didn't really seem like the reliable last line of defense that you would hope a veteran free safety would be. So I think there's some pressure on him and he could eventually be pushed for his starting spot. Uh, but the depth behind those two guys is, is a big question mark. You have Ashton Davis, who was a third round pick in 2020. Uh, he's been a pretty big disappointment. Uh, he, he was a project when he was drafted, uh, track runner at Cal, uh, successful one, has plenty of speed and athleticism, but just hasn't gotten the angles down uh, that you have to be able to have at the safety position. Misses a lot of tackles. Um, and then after him, you have Tony Adams, who's an undrafted free agent rookie, who, who did have a very impressive preseason, but at the same time, he beat out a fifth-round pick from last year, Jason Pinnock, who was converting to safety from corner. So the pool of talent competing for the backup safety spots wasn't great um and it doesn't still doesn't look too great going into the year so outside of jordan whitehead safety is a position that could be an issue all right that's very thorough really appreciate you going into this player by player with this michael how about one player who matches up well against the ravens no no need for score predictions we don't do that here but just a, a player you think could really make an impact against the ravens uh I think I'm going to look to the offensive side of the ball and I'm going to point to Elijah Moore because, you know, this is a Ravens defense that I think is, you know, has a lot of talent, but it, the corners are gamblers, you know, from, from Marcus Peters to, uh, to Marlon Humphrey. These are guys who can, who can make a lot of plays, but they're going to take some chances to do it. And I think if you have a good route running receiver against those type of corners, then, you know, they can exploit that. Uh, exploit that approach and make some big plays. And I think Elijah Moore has the ability to do that. We saw it against uh, the Dolphins last year, another aggressive man-heavy defense with great corners. And he had went off for over 140 yards against Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. And the Jets quarterback in that game was Joe Flacco. So I think pairing up with Flacco and playing against a defense that is – High risk, high reward. I think Elijah Moore has uh, the route running ability at all three levels of the field to potentially get himself open for some big plays. 
All right. All right. That's, uh, that's terrific stuff, Michael. Uh, uh, tell folks where they can find your work online. Yeah, you can find uh, all of my writing at jetsxfactor.com. Um, I host the Cool Your Jets podcast with my co-host Ben Blessington twice a week. That's after game days and then on Fridays uh, where we break down everything, you know, in terms of matchups and everything like that, following each game and going to the next game. Uh, so, yeah, those are the two places where uh, both podcasts and writing form you can find me. Twitter handle? Uh, Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. Okay, outstanding. Apologize for mispronouncing your name too. That's uh, that's always bad. <laughs> it, 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 it's good. Uh, there, I've heard so many different uh, pronunciations for it. So I, I just I just think it's kind of fun to hear hear all the different ones. All right, outstanding. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, I'll still be able to do about one per week during the regular season. Hit me up with your idea. Very narrow on the Ravens. I'd love to. Uh, uh, hear from you. We'll be getting into our regular uh, format starting next week with a uh, defensive pod that comes out on Tuesday morning, an offense pod that comes out on Wednesday morning, uh, and we may be doing some live shows this year, so look for that. Uh, know Your Foe will still be third show of the week, then By the Numbers, the fourth show of the week, shorts after that. Really appreciate having you uh, tune in and, and subscribe to those uh, pods. Uh, appreciate uh, having you here. Uh, Michael, thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 